have been uh, going verse by verse through the book of James. Our Wednesday night Bible studies a little bit different than Sunday morning sermons, which are topical in nature. I grab one topic and take a verse or many verses and jump all over kingdom come. But with uh, Wednesday night, what we try to do is study the book. And even though we'll still do some jumping around to help to understand the book, the whole point is to take it in context, verse by verse, and help us to understand uh, the book as it was written. And and while we do put the... uh, scriptures up in the big bible in the sky up here uh we try to encourage people to actually bring their bibles with you so that you can actually get a sense for uh how the conversation is going you can look at what was just before what's coming next kind of put it in context uh, which you you can't see with just what's up on the screen so uh we kind of left off here at the uh, 14th uh, verse in this section here uh, and uh, before we get started, let's open in a word of prayer and, and, and take a look at this. Father, we thank you for your kindness and your grace. We thank you, Lord, for your word, that you gave us your word so that we could uh, be instructed in your ways of truth. We thank you that you anointed men uh, to write under the anointing of the Holy Spirit what you had laid upon their hearts, what they believed God was saying, so that we could have a record of how to think and how to act and how to process information as believers. And we pray that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation, understanding, so that we can continue to grow in our faith through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Okay, so, what good is it, my brothers, he says, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Now here James is uh, kind of looking for a fight. And I kind of like James because he was kind of an in-your-face kind of guy. And I always like that kind of stuff. And uh, he's asking this question, can faith save you? Well, what, what, what kind of statement is that? Of course faith can save you. In fact, if you look at, uh, we're going to jump over to Ephesians. Hang a left there. Ephesians, the second chapter. Starting at verse... Oh, I don't know. Eight will pretty much nail it. He says, For it is by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. And this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. So here he's, Paul is saying, look, you, the only way you can be saved is by faith. It's not based on what you do. Then James comes along and says, well, can faith save you? What good is it to have faith but don't have any things that you do to back up your faith? Now this is one of these kind of areas where, you know, pointed nosed professors will say the Bible is full of inherent contradictions. No, you're a nitwit. It's not contradictions. You don't understand. And we're going to try and put it into context here. So, he says here in verse 15, the next verse he says, um, as an example, he says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says, go, I wish you well. Honestly, I feel it in my heart. I really love you. Keep warm and be well fed. We're way behind you. We're so far behind you, you can't see us, but we're really praying for you. But he does nothing about his physical needs. James says, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, it is, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So how do you, how do you uh, deal with this apparent contradiction? Well, it's, it's kind of like if I were to put a bunch of money in, in your checkbook, 
which I have no intention of doing. But but <laughs> but let's let's say I stuck like a million dollars in in your checkbook. Um, how many of you would like that? Wouldn't, wouldn't that be lovely? Okay, now that would be grace. That would just did you earn it? No, did you do anything for it? It was a gift, right? You were, it's just an unexpected ho chi mama check it out. I got a million bucks. Okay, but is it doing you any good? No, you can't get at it unless you write a what? You've got to draw on it. You've got to do something. You can't just sit there and say, well, I've got this. Now, you can't say, well, well, I, I got this money by myself because I wrote the check. I wrote the check. That's what made it happen. No, because then, then you're being goofy. You're not, it's not happening because you wrote a check. You're not earning salvation because you do nice things, because you do good things. You can't do it. Salvation is a gift from God, as Paul said. It is not of work. You can't earn it. The fundamental gift of salvation, that which forgives of, of our sins, that puts us right with God when we follow Christ, when we're saved, whatever terminology you want to use, this is, is just a gift of God. Jesus made this possible when he died on the cross that's what Christianity is all about the basic premise of Christianity is you're doomed and you can't do anything about it right lots of religions say well no you can get better if you do this and if you do that and you do that and you chant and you do these and you do this and be nice good things maybe someday the good will outweigh the bad sounds lovely the problem is it doesn't work according to Jesus according to Christianity the message of Christianity is, look, sin has doomed us all. Jesus came to be the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. He would take this upon himself. This is why he died on the cross. He took our punishment. He took our debt, if you will. Uh, how many of you have more than $5 in debt? All right, now wouldn't it be great if Pastor Lathan took all your debt for you? This, would this not be great? This would be lovely. This would be a wonderful thing. Okay? Now, did you do any? No, he took it. If he takes it, he takes it. It's, you know, uh, and if you come back to someone and say, well, you know, I, I want to keep paying. Say, well, the bill's been paid. You know, it's, the debt has been satisfied. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He satisfied your debt with God. The fact that you did all these wrong things, Jesus made it right. That's what all of this is about. And you can't earn that. You didn't buy it. There's nothing you can do about it. It all belongs to him. All the credit, all the glory, all the thanks. That's why we gather in places like this and we lift our hearts to God and we sing songs of thankfulness to him. We celebrate this wonderful salvation, this wonderful gift that came through Christ. Nothing you did to get it. All you had to do was write the check. You had to draw on it. You had to reach out and actually do something. You say, well, is it, is it enough that I just believe in, in my heart? Uh, well, actually, no, it, it's not. Uh, take another left again over to the book of Romans. Romans, the 10th chapter. And the 10th verse. He says, for in your heart, uh, for it is in your heart that God, well, that's wrong, for it is within, I can't read it, for it is within your heart that you believe and are justified. 
And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. So it takes an action. You can believe it, but it's not until you pray and act on it and confess it with your mouth. You ask Christ into your life. Jesus said, if you will confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. You have to actually make a stand. I am a believer in Jesus Christ. When you say to yourself and to others, I am a believer in Jesus Christ, that's what seals the deal. Okay, say, well, I haven't done that, but I believe it in my heart. Well, that's really not enough. You need to do something. That's really what James is trying to underline here. It does you no good if you say you have faith, if you're a person of faith. I love God. I love Jesus. I don't do anything, but I love Jesus. Well, James is saying, well, wait a minute. What good is that? Yeah, you can't save yourself, but if you truly have faith... It will be demonstrated in the fact that you do good things. You can't do good things to earn your salvation. There will be lots of people who go to hell who are really pretty nice people. Believe it or not. Why would that be? Because they've never taken care of their sin problem. They just were nice you know, from time to time. But they've never, put, they never allowed Christ to take away their sins. It's a bad situation. So it's, it, you can't earn it by doing good things. But if you truly have a relationship with God now... He says you need to demonstrate it by doing good things. Okay, it's just that it comes after, not before. Um, uh, by the way, I'm, I'm going to jump one more time. I'm doing a lot of jumping around uh, tonight in uh, or in the world. Second uh, Corinthians. Everything's to the left tonight. Second Corinthians. That's what happens when you're in the back of the Bible to start with. Second Corinthians. You can find it. It's right after First Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 2, 2, chapter 2. By the way, just, uh, just for your biblical literacy, the Bible was never written with chapters and verses. Okay, that came later. It, actually, it wasn't even until like 325 you know, years uh, later in Christianity that they even started breaking things down into paragraphs that they were kind of bite-sized. It wasn't until the 15th century that a guy came along. His name was Robert I can't even say his last name. S-S-T-N, I don't know how you say it, but uh, he's the one who went through and broke it down into, he would just take a section at a time and break it and number the verses so that you could have a point of reference. Just so you know, they didn't write in verses. Okay? And sometimes the way he broke it up made plenty of sense. And other times, I, I think he, you know, was into the sacramental line because it wasn't making any sense the way, the way that he's jumping around here because, you know, it's like, and just split of, you know, a thought in half. And, and it's like, you know, um, that's why I think it's great that, uh, you know, with, with most Bibles today, they're written in, in paragraph form. The Bibles that I grew up with and everything was verse, 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 verse. And, and you didn't get a sense of how the paragraphs and stuff got together. It was a little kind of confusing. So all these numbers that you hear, you know, go to this, you know, 2, 12 or whatever it is. It's just these guys set up a system where you could go find what was written in the scriptures. It doesn't mean jack. All right. So um, you find it, this one in Second Corinthians, the fifth chapter uh, and verse 10. He says, for we must all appear someday, all of us, are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things that he felt in his heart. Is that, is that what your Bible says? No. It's done, things done while in the what? Body, whether good or bad. We're all going to be judged not by what you felt. It doesn't matter what you feel. We live in a culture that is so feeling heavy. It doesn't matter what you feel. What matters is what you do. 
you need to do the right thing. You say, well, I don't feel like it. Who cares? Seriously, a lot of you need to stop asking yourself the question, do I feel like it? Or should I pray today? I don't know. Do I feel like it? Why do you ask the question? I mean, you don't do it. There's so many areas of life you would never ask. You, know, you wouldn't get up in the morning and say, gee, do I, do I feel like going to work today? You know, you wouldn't call and say, boss, I'd love to come, but I, just, I don't feel it in my heart. I just got to be honest with my feelings, you know. I don't want to be a hypocrite coming to work. I would feel just so plastic and phony if I came to work and my heart wasn't in it. And honestly, I'd, I'd rather go boating, you know. You know, you'll go boating all right until they repossess your boat because he's going to fire your butt, all right. So anyway, it doesn't matter what you feel. It's based on what you do. That's what we're all going to give account for someday. And again, back over to James, and I'll try and sit down for you know a couple of verses here anyway. But uh, so the whole deal is, he says, look, he wasn't contradicting Paul. Uh, at, at first glance, it kind of looked like that. In fact, uh, there was a, quite a bit of argument when uh, I forget whatever council it was when they finally decided which books of the Bible, which, which of these letters would be in the New Testament, one of the big arguments was, should this one be in it? And uh, because of this little twist that he took. And I think it should, I think it's perfectly consistent with Christianity. I don't think there's any, anything wrong with it at all. Uh, Martin Luther, who was very big on, you know, uh, that we're saved by grace and, and, and uh, not by ourselves, he really thought this book had no business being in the Bible. But he was really hypersensitive to, you know, at the time the church had been pushing so heavily you got to earn your way to God. So when he saw this, it kind of ticked him off. But I don't think in any way it's contradictory. It makes perfect sense. If you say you love somebody, you need to show it. If you say you love God, you need to show it. If you say you believe in do, doing good things, you need to do the good things. All right? And, uh, and verse 18, he says, well, someone might say, well, brother, brother, you have faith and I have deeds. You know, you, you believe it in your, but I do it. And uh, he says, well, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. Okay, that's the bottom line. How real is your faith? What do you do? It really belongs to that. Lots of people in America truly believe they have faith, truly believe they are Christians, truly believe all the stuff in their hearts, but do jack squat. And think they're okay because they just feel it on the inside. But it's not enough to feel it on the inside. There's an old saying, the uh, road to hell is paved with good intentions. doesn't matter what you're feeling with your intentions. only matters what you do. All right. So, he says, you believe there is a God. You believe there's one God. Good, he says. Even the demons believe that and shudder. He said, whoop-de-doo, even the devils believe. Who cares? He says what matters is what you do. And then he goes on, you little nitwit. That's really what he's saying. This guy, I loved it because he's in their face. He's not the nicest guy in the world. And neither am I. You foolish man, you nitwit. Do you want evidence, he says, that faith without deeds is useless? Then he says, I'll prove it to you. So he starts talking about some Old Testament examples. And remember, James is writing to Christians who at the time was made up overwhelmingly, if not exclusively. I'm not exactly sure when this was written. But in the beginning, all of Christianity was made up of Jewish people. They didn't even think non-Jewish people could even be a Christian. That's, that's the big fight that you find in the New Testament. When you see these guys arguing about circumcision and all these different things. That was the fundamental fight. In the book of Acts, they had a quite, quite the knockdown dragout 
the disciples, the apostles all got together, wrestled this thing. You mean a, a non-Jew can be a Christian? They did not believe it at, at all. Well, then certainly then God revealed it to them that yes, anybody who comes in faith can be a Christian. And, uh, you know, thank God. So otherwise we wouldn't be in on the deal unless you happen to be Jewish. By the way, how stupid can you be to be a racist and say you believe in Jesus and hate Jews? I was watching something, you know, some old clip, you know, some guy dressed in white, some, you know, real, real wacko dude. And he said, I'm just trying to preserve our God-given Christianity and keep them Jews out. <laughs> Have you heard these things? You know, how can you be so stupid and still breathe? The Bible you're holding is all Jews. The Jews wrote it. Jesus, I hate to break it to you, was a Jew. So anybody who says, well, I, I'm a Christian, but I hate Jews. Boy, you are really seriously confused human being. All right, so he says, you want proof. So then he goes on and he says, was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? So it wasn't based on what he felt. It was based on what he did. And uh, so let's take a look at that story. Now you're going to really jump. Very first book of the Bible. In the beginning, Genesis chapter 22. And we want to look uh, at the story that he's referring to. Abraham. The guy's name was Abram. God came to him, saw that there was something powerful in him, great potential in the guy. And he says, Abram, I'm changing your name to Abraham, which means the father of a multitude. And for years, uh, he went around saying, my name is Abraham and had no children. And it made no sense. And God would tell him, you are Abraham. You're going to, have to be the father of a great nation. In fact, he would tell him, when you stand at night, look at all at the stars and try and count them. Because your descendants are going to be more than the stars of heaven. You're going to have such a great nation. God, for years, he focused on this promise. And it seemed like the promise was never going to come. And then he became an old man. And his wife was an old lady. And if there was any chance of anybody getting pregnant, it pretty much had passed. And God was still calling him Abraham. And still telling him, look at the stars. Look at the sands of the, of the beaches, of the seas. Your, your descendants are going to be more than this. And he, kept, and he never lost faith. Even after all of that, he's like in Geezerville, okay? He, he needs more Viagra than anything else, right? And he just, he just this guy, this, he's an old man. Like he's you know, very, very old. His wife's old. And, and, and amazingly, she got pregnant. God finally gave, you know, to me, it's amazingly they had sex. But, I mean, you know. I told someone the other day, you know, you know, my wife and I are getting older, but we still have sex. We just can't remember why. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> so here she finally gets pregnant and, and this little boy is, is born and, and he loves this boy like life itself this promise that had been coming and he called him Isaac and Isaac was his son and he loved this little boy and, and he celebrated this boy in an earlier chapter you could even say they celebrated the day he was finally weaned there was a big celebration he just loved this little boy and any father who's had a 
little girl or little boy, you know what I'm talking about. There's something that's so powerful between a, a parent, a father, and his little boy. And uh, he loves this child and he grows up. And we're not sure how old he was. He was certainly old enough to talk and old enough to go on a trip. He, you know, how old that would have been, I don't know. Could have been as young as eight, maybe he's ten, maybe he's twelve. We don't know. But at verse, at chapter 22, we read the story. He says, sometime later, we don't know how old, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So after all this time, this miracle takes place. And he's crazy in love with this little boy. And God tells him, I want you to take him up and you're going to sacrifice him to me on the mountain. Amazingly, Abraham offers no resistance. It says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took uh, took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I go, while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Okay, so he said, you guys stay here and, uh, and you know, uh, I got to tell you this story because it's just a funny story that that I've never forgotten. I I was about 25 years ago, almost 30 years ago, uh, I was in a church and I heard this old preacher preach using this text of of scripture. And he was reading from the King James Bible, which called donkeys asses. And he said, these guys stayed with the ass while uh, uh, he went up to worship. And his whole premise of his sermon was, don't let the devil make an ass out of you by going halfway with God. And he would talk a little bit more and he'd say, don't let the devil make an ass out of you by going halfway with God. Because we're all freaking out. Does this guy know what he's saying? Because this word don't mean what he thinks it means anymore. And he goes on and on. And I tell you what, I have never forgotten that. 30 years later, I still remember. Don't let the devil make an ass out of you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Don't go halfway with God. I don't want to be an ass. Anyway, going on. <laughs> Translated now, donkey. It's not quite so offensive. But he says, you guys stay here, we're going up. And then Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The wood and fire are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Now some people say that this was Abraham's faith, that he knew that God would provide another way out. I'm not convinced of that at all. I think he was just telling the boy whatever he needed to hear. I think this man had every intention of sacrificing that boy because God told him to. How do you get to that place of obedience? We're talking some serious stuff here. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. Then he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son 
But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. He replied, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. It wasn't until Abraham had knife in hand and was ready to plunge it into his little boy that God finally called the whole thing off. God never had any intention of him sacrificing. But now let's get back uh, to James. Now all these guys were ter- totally aware of this story. Certainly they, they were all you know, Jewish believers and had heard these stories uh, from a, as a young boy. So at verse 21 again, uh, James 2.21 Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified, he says, by what he does, not by faith alone. If what you do doesn't matter, then all God would have had to do was look into Abraham's heart and say, you know, gee, does this guy really love me? People say, well, God knows my heart. Yeah, but what are you doing? What are you doing? Are you doing the right things? It wasn't until he actually stepped out and acted on this incredible request that boom. And now we call him the father of faith. Boy, this was the ultimate step of faith that this guy took. It wasn't enough to just say, God, check my heart. Look at my heart. At the bottom line, we're measured by what we do. Which again, if you back up to earlier in James, remember he says, count it all joy when you fall into all kinds of troubles and temptations. Why? Trials. Trials and troubles. He says, count it all joy. Why? Because this is an opportunity to see what you're really made out of. Don't just freak out and cry when bad things come your way. This is your opportunity to see what you're made of. What kind of faith? Are you going to freak out? Are you going to stand strong? Are you going to stop doing the right thing? Or are you going to keep doing the right thing? Even though it seems like it's not working for you. Even though sometimes doing the right thing feels like it hurts you more. Even though doing the right thing frequently, oh my goodness, the list goes on and on of people that I speak to who you talk to them about doing the right thing and the right thing to them is of no consequence. Because all they want to do is be happy. All they want is what they want. They can't imagine God would ask of them to do anything that would not make them happy. They have turned happiness into an idol. They think happiness is is God's end result. You need to understand, God's goal is not to make you happy. His goal is to make you holy. To a place where you totally surrender to him like Abraham did. No way did this request make Abraham happy in any way, shape, or form. It had to rip his heart out. Now, in the end result, if you do the right things, do you have joy? Do you have peace? Can happiness come? Absolutely. But happiness is based on happenings. That's why you need to keep your word, whether it makes you happy or not. That's why you need to do the right things, whether it makes you happy or not. That's why you need to respect your husband, even if he's a nitwit at times. That's why you need to love your wife, even though she's at times. 
Well, I shouldn't have to. He doesn't make me happy. Well, whoop these things can do. What are you truly made out of? Will you do the right thing? That's what James is talking about. And then he gives another analogy of another story in the Old Testament. And, uh, and we'll pick that up again next week and pick it up there and, and run from there. We'll take a look at that Old Testament story as well. But you can see the point that he's trying to make. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer as we bring the service to a close tonight in our study. Father, we are so grateful for your kindness, your grace, your mercy in our lives and how much you love us and you care about us. Help us, Lord, to understand what James is trying to say here. That we need to be people of of our word, people of honor, people who follow our commitments, people who say they have faith, need to show it by living out the faith that they have. And Lord, maybe there's people here tonight who've never even taken that very first step of faith. Maybe they have... You know, they're hearing this, but, you know, they, they haven't even done that very first step where they ask Christ to come into their lives to, to wash away their sins and, and forgive them. And Lord, I pray right now you'd speak to all of our hearts here. Help us to truly trust you for salvation. And I'm going to invite everybody as our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I'd like to invite all of you to pray this prayer together. It's not that you need to get saved every time you come to church. We just all pray it together so that it's comfortable for people who are doing it for the first time. But I'd like you all to repeat this prayer with me. And if you've never truly put your hope and trust in Jesus Christ, if you'll mean this prayer from the bottom of your heart, you can experience what we were talking about earlier where Jesus takes away the sins of the world. He can take away your sins. You can get in on the checking account, if you will. But you have to act. And this is your first step where you pray and you ask him into your life. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. You went to the cross to die for my sins. I ask you to come into my heart and to forgive me. Help me to walk this walk of faith. Help me to truly know you. Amen. Praise God. Pastor Lathan. Hey, I want you to grab Eddie's book there real quick. Let me tell him about this. If you pray that prayer for the very first time tonight as Pastor Lathan's coming, um, we, I got a great book I'd love to give you. It's written by my brother Ed, who's also in ministry. It's called Getting Started in Your New Life with Jesus. It's a great little book about faith and understanding God, kind of the stuff we were talking about tonight. If, uh, if, if you kind of made that first step in your heart and said, yeah, I want to really start trusting Jesus. If you'll stop by the guest services counter and say, I would like a copy of that book. They'll give it to you absolutely free. So don't leave tonight if you didn't get a chance to get one of these. Uh, it'll be a real blessing and, and help to you.